This is Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. I'm Greg Masters, Managing Director of Health Innovation Media, the executive producer and co-host of the show. Joining me in the virtual studio is co-founder and principal co-host Fred Goldstein, President of Accountable Health, LLC. On today's episode of Pop Health Week, our guests are Kelly McVeary, Ph.D., Managing Partner and Co-Founder of Hypatia, a software engineering firm building advanced technologies for public benefit missions around the globe, and Yusuf Enriquez, CEO, Indigenous U.S. AI, a genomics company creating the world's largest blockchain-encrypted repository of indigenous populations worldwide. We discuss clinical trials, diversity, and the underserved. And with that introduction, Fred, over to you. Thanks so much, Greg. And Kelly and Yusuf, welcome to Pop Health Week. It's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. It's great to get you both on. And it's a really interesting topic because I'm actually involved in the clinical study now. So one of the things we are working on is how do you increase the diversity in those clinical trials and studies and get data in from a larger group of people, particularly as we try to move to this population health approach and apply precision medicine within that. So Kelly, why don't we first start, give us a little bit of your background and the company. Um, sure. So my background is actually as a, um, I'm trained as a neuroscientist and a pediatric neuropsychologist. So I used to run clinical trials. Um, and once upon a time, I traveled all over the country to study mother-child pairs who were prenatally exposed to drugs. Um, and you always worried about um, just losing one person who had enrolled, right? You had worked so hard to recruit them. Fast forward, um, I became part of a research community called the Lupus Research Alliance based in New York City. And we stood up a clinical trial subsidiary. It's the largest infrastructure in the globe to um, get access to a very hard to tap into population, lupus patients. Um, And although we have the largest physical infrastructure in the world at 57 academic medical centers, we were really never able to move the needle on clinical trial enrollment. And when the pandemic happened, um, we had to turn off our clinical trials because you can't put autoimmune compromised people in extra harm's way. Um, And we used it as an opportunity to reimagine Um, this future state of decentralized clinical trials. And we developed this essentially a methodology that's akin to receiving a birthday present on your doorstep. And so we have gamified, we've tried to turn into a consumer grade user experience an incredibly convenient process. Um, And we've tested it in our lupus patients and now we're expanding to other areas. And and quickly before we go on to you to the name of the company is it's Bento Biology Platforms, Bento. We just call it Bento, and, and it's an acronym. It stands for Biomedical Equity for Novel Trials and Outcomes. Fantastic. And and Yusuf, tell us about your background and the unique work you guys are doing. Yeah, so Yusuf Rodriguez, founder and CEO of Indigenous AI. Um, we're a genomics company looking to increase diversity in underrepresented population, um, predominantly in African-American and Hispanic uh, communities. Um, a lot of the work that I've been doing is pre my FDA days, former FDA. Uh, so I used to regulate 
pharmaceutical and clinical trial organization. Uh, my last stint in the government was overseeing a large research trial of about $45 million around PTSD biomarkers. So I over ran one of the largest research study in Mount Sinai Medical School with the nine VA hospitals in uh, New York and New Jersey that recruited uh, veteran patients of, of uh, diverse background within New York and New Jersey, and also had Holocaust survivors or World Trade Center survivors to identify particular gene markers that looked at your predisposition to PTSD. Um, COVID happened, as everybody knows, and MIT asked me to do a hack in racism in healthcare, because as we know, the system is structurally set up uh, to recruit European white males. Our drug trials are 95% European white males. And so I have deep inside knowledge on, on you know, where these sites are, and we have to re-engineer where we put these clinical trial sites. And that's what Indigenous is doing. We're looking to you know, re-engineer where sites are set up to recruit these patients because what we're seeing now for two years, all of us in the NIH have been throwing billions of dollars at recruitment, but yet um, haven't been able to move the needle because of the structure and, and where these uh, clinical sites are set up. So Yusuf, you raised a great point, and we've seen some of the bad side of having bad data built into systems with some of the AI using the hospitals that missed individuals or did not have a representative sample. So how are you going out to these and trying to change that? What are you doing specifically? Um, you know, we got to be intentional, right? Uh, the same way it was intentionally done to recruit. <laughs> I have a population uh, or research trials of 95% European, where we have to reverse that. So um, I make the term we're building labs in the hood um, because, again, that's that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to systematically place uh, research um, in communities, uh, in communities of color, uh, where you're trying to recruit the patients. You can't shout across the bridge and tell folks to come to Harvard from, you know, the inner city and in, 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 uh, <laughs> in some of the urban areas. And so you have to take the trials just the same way we're taking um, you know, uh, medicine to the patient at the home is the same way we're going to have to do clinical trial. And so that's what we're doing. We have a lab here in Washington, D.C., in an urban area, which is the old Walter Reed and Georgia Avenue. We've also extended our tentacles all the way over to South Africa, where there's a miss, you know, about 2% of the clinical trials have uh, Africa diaspora representation. So we've set up a lab there as well. So I mean, again, you got to put your money where your mouth is. You have to be intentional where you're putting these new locations. And I see ARPA H trying to do something like that with their new site selection initiative. Uh, but this should have been done years ago. Mm -hmm. And what's been the response from the community? I mean, again, you could imagine, right? They're like, we've never, you know, anticipated having that close proximity, right? You know, you've heard the stories. People have to take two buses and a train to go do clinical trials. Of course, you're going to have a high dropout. Um, and so to have something in the community where individuals could see people that's working in these labs, look like them, um, uh, it's it's a game changer. And so, you know, even when I did this in, in clinical trials for the military up at the VA, I mean, I increased clinical trial recruitment by 300% by just being the only African-American guy on, on the floor. Uh, the psych, psych floor in at the J, J, uh, James J. Peters uh, VA hospital. So we know what triggers and building that trust in the community, all of that's going to need uh, close proximity and hand-to-hand and, and, -hand and, and not from, you know, you can't shout from your balcony 
or from your Eiffel Tower. It's going to have to be boots on the ground within the community in the trenches. That's a really great statement you made there and how broadly you're going after this. Kelly, when you think about this, you're using it now for lupus, but the product really is created to be able to use for a number of different illnesses or clinical trials, right? Absolutely. Um, lupus was just a really great starting point. It's sort of the ultimate use case because it represents some of the most underrepresented categories, right? It's predominantly a disease that affects women and 80% of those women are women of color. And so um, when you look at who participates in the trials, it's, um, it's men and women who are middle class of white European descent. So, right, it's, it's exactly what we just heard. And so we thought, okay, let's start to think about solving this problem as technology builders. And so we've developed this composable health equity technology platform that's really based on um, a new economic model, right? Anybody, we've got these very pretty boxes and everybody loves receiving them on their doorstep, but it really is an incentive alignment system that we've been building. And it's based on participate to earn and shared value economic principles. And we automate all of this in the back end. And we make this commitment that you're not just going to be a data donor, you're going to be a data owner. And we believe there's a future state where you can really help build a virtuous, sustainable, almost automated ecosystem where people are able to monetize and become self-organizing patient communities um, that really cut out a lot of the inefficiencies and expense in the pharmaceutical clinical trial space. And we think everybody wins in this kind of future state that we're building toward. So are you taking this product out to the, the pharmaceutical companies that are doing clinical trials to then use this as a means to run that trial by sending directly out to the patients? Yes. Yes, we're, we've built the infrastructure to remove all the operational friction points um, for clinical trial recruitment and retention. Um, we have these physical biosampling tools. Uh, on top of that, we've we've looked long and hard at some reasons people drop out once they enroll. And I've never met a patient, myself included, who likes symptom diaries, right? They're they're labor intensive. And we looked at that and we thought, maybe we could gamify that. Maybe we could make the report of reporting your symptoms on a daily basis in a way that is a true patient reported outcome measure that will hold water with the FDA submissions, but that is fun to do for the end user, the patient. So we've taken a software consumer engagement approach to all of these pain points. And so we're we believe we're going to be, I mean, we're very, it's early days for us, but our pipeline of use cases has expanded way beyond lupus to rare disease to healthy biorepository efforts led by our government um, and other categories like that. And you say the data is owned by the individual. So do they decide, okay, I'm in this uh, trial, I've sent this box in, but another trial might ping them and they could say, yes, you can share my data or not. 
That's right. We envision, so we've got a, a series, like any technology startup, we've got a series of products that are ready to go and be sold. And then we've got our pipeline of kind of like the downstream vision. The downstream vision is to build out these software defined decentralized mechanisms um, that are kind of token gated that allow people to pin their data and let it be discoverable and let their profile be discovered like a like a next generation patient registry um, but they also are in control of the right to be forgotten and remove themselves they're also allowed to selectively decide who gets to access their data at what point in time maybe they want a nonprofit, but maybe they don't want pharma or maybe they want it. So it's just, so so that's the downstream and that's in an experimental phase now, but there's no reason to think it won't work. Um, the other stuff is ready to go mature product set. Got it. And Yusuf, you, these individuals submit their um, sample, you run the genomics on it and you produce a multitude of reports. I saw some of the different levels of reporting you have. How are you going to take those data sets and potentially merge them so we get that information into these studies that really need to have this broad diversity of information in them? And is that also controlled by the individual? Yeah, uh, I think you know the theme here is data ownership. Um, we believe that that's the consumer right. And so, yeah, we're creating the same environment. What we're doing is as of October 6th last year, um, because of the silo of your clinical record being in multiple health system, uh, the Cures Act allows patients to now go and request their data from all of these different Epic, Cerner, and the others. And so we're creating a repository where that individual will give us, you know, be able to pull that into our database and then, of course, we take a whole genome sequence. And why that's important is just to look at predisposition, right? With the technology that we use, which is whole genome sequencing, has moved from R&D to now basically clinical use since the pandemic. And so we're seeing whole genome sequence as a diagnostic uh, surface over the last couple of years with the Illumina technology. And so you can see how valuable that would be to have your electronic record data and your genomic data, which currently doesn't exist in a lot. It's still an experimental phase with a couple of health systems that are trying to put those data sets together. But again, the trouble is that all of your data is not in one place. Like a military guy like myself that has been all over, parts of my health record is in multiple places, right? And so, you know, what we need to do, we have to get down to the ground floor and essentially create a, a new repository because as you mentioned earlier, garbage in, garbage out. And so, you know, it, if we're gonna truly start looking at individual patients as a whole, we need that clinical and genomic data and other data set that we'll be able to collect. But from a, a pre preliminary standpoint, clinical and genomic data is where we're starting the baseline. And, and, and the patient will have the right to share that data with whatever research they want to, or um, as, as I was mentioned, remove themselves if they don't want to participate in any other trials. Just tuning in, you're listening to Pop Health Week on Healthcare Now Radio. We're speaking with Kelly McVeary, PhD, managing partner and co-founder of Hypatia, a software engineering firm building advanced technologies for public benefit missions around the globe, and Yusuf Enriquez, chief executive officer, Indigenous US AI, a genomics company, creating the world's largest blockchain encrypted repository of indigenous populations worldwide. Yeah, and Yusuf, I think I'm getting this right. You talked about historic history, present, 
and future uh, on your site and things. And as you bring in this, these other data sets, are you analyzing those as well or linking those up with the genomics and then creating uh, outputs from that based on all the data sets? Yeah, um, AI machine learning is going to be important because these data sets are going to be large. Just imagine 3 billion genes. That's a large data set to put with your clinical data. Um, probably why this hadn't been done previously, but as the technology evolves, uh, the science is evolving. And so, yeah, our goal is our platform will be able to use, you know, um, algorithms uh, and predictive learning in order to ingest new information and create new risk, you know, risk profiles for those individuals based on, uh, you know, real world evidence data that we'll be collecting. Mm -hmm. And I've talked with, uh, I've actually had my genomics done um, for a trial I'm involved in. Um, and so, do you have genetic counselors that once you get your data set, they talk to you about what that is and what it means so people don't just go off the deep end thinking, oh, my gosh? No, absolutely. I mean, that's the downstream what's going to be important. Unfortunately, there's not enough of those to go around either because the uh, the workforce is not keeping up with the pace of the science. And so we're now looking at technological ways on how to enhance that by creating you know algorithms that will be able to read those reports. Uh, but for now, yes, our, our chief scientific officer and co-founder is a geneticist by training. Um, and so we're looking to have uh, several other geneticists and then build the pipeline of workforce economic development so that we can get more genetic counselors, especially um, ones of color and women, in order to engage with patients downstream, just like on any other primary care um, setup or, or pack unit that you know individuals have. Uh, in order to get those those reports read and transferred back to the clinician so that they could have you know, meaningful conversations with patients based on what these uh, genetic markers mean and, and, and what type of lifestyle and nutrition changes they, they should uh, consider. That's really great as you build that out. It'll be fascinating to watch that. And obviously finding qualified staff in healthcare right now is really tough. And Kelly, you talked about this as an area that just fascinates me, and I've seen others moving into it, this whole thing of gamifying your system. What's been the response from the individuals that have used the, the Benovox and, and things like that and the gamification? So uh, thank you for that, that fun question. Um, we've been blown away. So I'll roll back the clock to when we first launched um, the toy version of our first mobile app. Um, and we asked the participants in our, our software alpha test to use the tool for two weeks. And it was a very brittle toy software environment. It was not designed to scale. It was designed to get some early feedback. And my software engineer leading that project kept writing me every month. And he said, you know, no one's stopping to use the app. And fast forward months later, when we were about to pull the app and launch the, the proper um, production grade version, we, he said, you know, we've got a super user who's never missed a day of reporting symptoms and just wrote me an email and said, do you mind if I merge all of my redeemables? We have a wallet that you get. Can I merge my redeemables into a single Walmart gift certificate? And he said, you know, sure, of course, manual, it's not automatic. And he said, how old do you think this user is? And we assumed it was one of our younger participants because they're more mobile forward. It turns out our power user in our early alpha test was a 69-year-old grandmother 
who then wrote us this beautiful email about the fact that she was able to rack and stack points for task completion, allowed her to now buy a stroller for her grandson that she wouldn't have been otherwise able to buy. That was an early window into the power of the gamification and providing real-time return of value to the users of these tools. Very low cost for us, but great benefit for somebody else to let them know that they're not guinea pigs. That anecdote has now kind of started to scale. All of the people, the numbers show us that they just enjoy using it because they don't stop. We've, we've, we're setting out to create a next generation patient symptom diary, but what it's turned out to be is kind of this continuous phenotyping that lets us look at how you're doing over time in a way that has no friction and these kind of play to learn modules that teach you about druggable targets, genome education, microbiome education, and the like. Yeah, it's really great. What we've got here, as I think about this, is we've got patient-reported outcomes data, we've got biometric data, we've got clinical data, we've got genomic data, which is really sort of the holy grail if you just add in personification and things like um, readiness to change to create a true precision med medicine algorithm. Is that sort of how you're looking at this? It is. I mean, we'd like to imagine a future state where patient registries are owned by the patients and enable super accelerated recruitment so that the sponsors of trials benefit. Um, and we think that by patients participating and almost curating their own biological digital twin, that you're going to be able to um, really accelerate the adoption of these kinds of clinical trials that are based on greater patient stratification up front. So. Mm -hmm. And Yusuf, are you taking this out direct to consumer? Are you running this out to organizations to do the genetic testing? How's that balance? Yeah. So uh, what we did was very intentional. We actually have a marketplace that we acquired encryption uh, was a marketplace that uh, bioethicists uh, and, and lawyer created. Um, and so last year we acquired them where you were able to upload your um, 23andMe data. So we know that that system works and they had about 8,000 uh, digital wallet created through that system. So uh, we've now ingested that, but as you know, 23andMe information, that's about 0.01% of your, your genomic data. So it's very small and it was cheek swab. We're now gonna do a indigenous 2.0 platform where we'll now uh, increase that to where you can upload your whole genome sequence and be able to do that same data ownership. It's built on a blockchain so that data privacy and security will be there uh, and, and nominated. Uh, so what we plan on doing is then also scaling uh, once we start to build the repository of whole genome sequencing of non-European white males, so underrepresented population that um, have been excluded from these trials, we're going to create that large repository so we can move the needle on some of the efficacy around some of these drug products, drug targets. Um, just a small note, right now there's about 3 billion genes in your body. We're starting to see whole genome sequence repository uh, of about 15% not being referenced in any uh, database right now. So there's a huge market there for uh, gene variants that haven't been identified yet. And predominantly, that's been in the underrepresented population like women, 
uh, minority. So we're working with three advocacy group right now on a large study that we're going to do for endometriosis, polycystic ovary syndrome, and uterine fibroids. Those three diseases alone uh, cuts across all ethnic background for women um, and leads downstream to maternal issues and infertility. And so we are now working with uh, Merck as one of the pharma companies that we're looking to uh, do some studies around looking at gene profiling uh, and, and phenotype profiling around these uh, individual women that suffer from one or three of these, which I didn't know that some women suffer from, you know, one, not just one, but two or three different of these conditions altogether. I hate to put you two on the spot, but have you ever thought of linking up your data? Uh, I think we could, our, let's link up our business models. So yeah, you know, fascinating. We, you know, I'll be honest with you. So I'm involved in the Michael J. Fox PPMI study, which just released the big thing that we got biomarker we found last week based on lumbar punctures. And, and honestly, just as you've talked about both of you, the issue we're dealing with, I'm on the, the uh, participant uh, committee is um, diversity. It's all guys like me or women, white women, majority, you know, of uh, Eastern European descent, and um, really, the big focus is how do we get the rest of the data in? So it'd be fascinating to actually talk to both of you with them and see if there's a way to kind of uh, mix this up together and create much better data for much better outcomes. So, you know, it's really been a pleasure talking to both of you. I've got about a minute and a half left or so. Anything you'd like to say in closing, Yusuf? Well, you know, I'm a gentleman. I'll let, I'll let uh, <laughs> Kelly go first. <laughs> I, you know, I was really moved by um, something that the Pfizer VP of patient engagement said in December, where he stood on a stage at the Milk and Future of Health, and even Pfizer was saying recruitment is still the toughest nut to crack, and that the standard expectation at Pfizer, Pfizer for any trial is still three years. We've got to move the needle. We can do better on that. Um, his goal is to bring that number to 18 months. That would be a win for Pfizer. We would like to see a future of these patient registries controlled and owned by patients where that can be on demand, on the spot, no different than going to buy milk at the marketplace, but letting the patient be in control. Fantastic. And you, Yusuf? Yeah, no, I mean, again, I think, you know, we know the urgency is here. I've seen the data. So, you know, being at the FDA, I know how dire this is, and we can't keep saying precision medicine and personalized medicine if the data set continues to look like the way it does. Um, I think, you know, the word for me is being intentional. We're going to have to be intentional about these recruitment strategy, the funding that goes towards these studies to the point where, you know, it's going to just have to be intended around, you know, gender groups and ethnicity groups. And if we're going to really want to tackle this, because so much has done infrastructure wise to build you know the system that currently is we almost have to you know create a new pathway and so companies like uh, us and, and what bento is doing uh we're looking makes things promising that we could come together and create other you know alternative rep repository that we could then drive precision health equity and you know make better drugs for all and, and better products for all because Everyone wins if diversity and in, in, in inclusion is, is involved in the process. Absolutely. What a great way to finish the show. Uh, if, if we want to be successful in population health and precision medicine, we got to solve this one for sure. And it looks like both of you are going to do that. So thank you so much, Kelly and Yusuf, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks.
And back to you, Greg. And thank you, Fred. That is the last word on today's broadcast. I do want to thank our guests, Kelly McVeary, PhD, managing partner and co-founder of Hypatia, a software engineering firm building advanced technologies for public benefit missions around the globe, and Yusuf Enriquez, Chief Executive Officer, Indigenous USAI, a genomics company, creating the world's largest blockchain encrypted repository of indigenous populations worldwide. To learn more about their collective works, for Kelly, go to www.hypatiaproject.com and follow on Twitter via at HypatiaBuilds. And for Yusuf, go to www.indigenousus.ai and follow on Twitter via indigenousus underscore AI. We stream live on Healthcare Now Radio weekdays at 5.30 a.m., 1.30 p.m., and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. And for you left coasters, 2.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 6.30 p.m. Pacific. This is Greg Masters saying, please stay safe, everyone.